Hello, welcome to the Katie Halper Show. You can find the Katie Halper Show on iTunes, and please rate and review us there. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can access bonus content, extra interviews, extended interviews on patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. On this episode, we play an interview with Joshua Kendall, who's a journalist who's written a lot about Bill Clinton and his treatment of women. And the reason I interviewed him is because we are in the midst of the 20-year anniversary of the impeachment of William Jefferson Clinton. The impeachment started December 19th, 1998 and went on to February 12th. I opened the episode with a chat with my co-host Gabe Pacheco about a Joan Baez concert I attended back in September, and you'll see why it's relevant. I'm here with my uh, co-pilot, Gabe Pacheco. Hey, yeah, that's right. I'm back. He's I'm back. Here. Yes, he's back. Guess who's back? How's it going, Katie? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm feeling great. I uh, had some interesting cultural exposure this, uh, this past weekend. I, I got a free ticket to see Joan Baez. Well, I'll be dead. Wow. Folk singer Joan She's Baez. She's like yeah. a legend. Already a legend. She is a legend. She's a folk singer. This is apparently like her last, it's like her goodbye tour. And then she's done. She's throwing she, the towel uh, in. Yeah, she does some uh, kind of uh, Thelma and Louise move and that's it. No, I'm, I just mean in terms of uh, performance, not life-wise. I'd seen her before at Town Hall and I saw her with the New York City Labor Chorus at Pete Seeger's 90th at wow. Madison Square Garden. Yeah. That was really good. My aunt and uncle and family friends are in the Labor Chorus, so, you know. That makes me kind of Joan Baez adjacent. I consider myself Joan Baez royalty. Yeah, she uh, gave a concert the other day, Saturday night, at the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side. I just walked into it because someone had a free ticket, and it was really cool. But guess who was there? You'll never, you'll Bob never Dylan. guess. No, although they did date, and she sang a song that she wrote about him called Diamonds and Rust. Crosby from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. <laughs> no, neither Crosby nor Stills nor Nash. Santana. Nope. People I talk about a lot. Bernie Sanders. No, but closer. Adam Johnson. No, but closer. Jake Flores. Less close than you were hottest with Bernie Sanders. Oh, wow. Yes. Kamala Harris. Hillary. Oh, my gosh. The senator from New York, Hillary <laughs> yes. Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Yeah, the Clintons I love to hear about every, I know. all the time well, you on know the what? show. I've gone a couple of episodes without mentioning her or Sanders, so I feel like... Look, I tried not to. I didn't want to mention her, but uh, she popped up because... Uh, she was there. She was there, literally popped up. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. Here comes your ghost again. I, I couldn't believe it. I came, I got to the concert. There's a Clinton Foundation pop-up. <laughs> I, uh, I got there. I'm like, I'm, I went with people who I, I, I had never met them. It was interesting. I went because... So this was like a Joan Baez blind date? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A Jobada. Jobada. It was um, a listserv. I'm not allowed to announce this listserv. I think it's okay because I'm not like saying the name of it, right? This is a secret. A secret society. List? No, just a politics listserv. Whoa. Yeah. So it's this is the left uh, version of like a skull and crossbones. Yeah, exactly. This guy put on the listserv that there were he had two free tickets. Uh, did anyone want to go? I said yes. I scooped him up. I was one of the person who scooped one up. Met him online. We're sitting there, of course, because it's me, Katie Halper. Before the show, we, I'm talking to the, the guy who didn't invite me, but the other guy there. And somehow this guy comes up that he likes on Twitter, who I don't like because he's a Bernie basher. We start talking about Bernie and Hillary, of course. 
Yeah. And um, can't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. This guy I'm talking to, he was a Hillary person. He didn't think Sanders was electable. And now he says he's wrong. So I accepted his apology. Just kidding. It wasn't an apology. And he did nothing wrong. He just meant he was incorrect in his assessment. This is an anecdote, by the way, an observation, anecdotal. But I find that more men who supported Hillary will say, I wish I will say I was wrong. Sanders was more electable than Hillary. Totally anecdotal, and all the women who think I'm a, 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 some kind of shrew who likes male attention, and that's the basis of my politics, are going to think that even more strongly now. But I've noticed that. It's an interesting thing. Anyway, so then Joan Baez comes out, and she's like, so uh, everyone I want to say who's here, I just want to announce that we have with us here tonight, Bill Clinton, and, and I think I'm supposed to call her uh, Madam Secretary. But I think it's more accurate to say American President. I can't see them, but everybody on the yeah. orchestra. That is so funny. We were just talking about them. My president. My president. I was like, oh, no. I was like, I try to enjoy myself on a Saturday night, go to a concert, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to do my best to enjoy myself despite that. God, the only reason I didn't walk out of the concert was because Jerome Bias had endorsed Bernie Sanders. Oh, wow. So that's why. You know, Interesting. Not at that concert. Oh, yeah. I should, I'm going to put this at the beginning because I can't have listeners thinking for a second that she was on the side of the devil. So you're, t- why did- I'm kidding. It was a great, it was a great show. Did, so Hillary came to yes. Joan Baez's concert, even though Joan Baez was not right. advocating I think for she Hillary. had advocated for her after Bernie lost. Sure. Anyway, and she opened with Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, which is a great song by Bob Dylan, who she dated. And she said lots of great things and interesting things. She talked a lot about empathy. It was interesting. She even has like empathy for Donald Trump, she says. Wow. Yeah. She's a yeah. big hearted lady. And you know, the Katie Halper show has a very pro empathy take that we do. We're all about the feels. We're all about the feels. Um, just from an organizing perspective, we think that's how you got to roll. And now another interesting thing though about this was that there, she played this song called Silver Blade. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds great, right? Yeah. Uh, I had never heard it before in my life. It kind of has like a um, like a medieval times uh, vocabulary. Not like big chicken bones or anything or like bar oh, it's winches. About, it's about medieval times. So it's probably like, you know, not a lot of uplifting stuff happened no, back then. No, never, right. I'm thinking Iron Maidens, bubonic right. plague, uh, very short life expectancies. Right. All that. Feudalism. Right. Everyone's favorite social uh, organizing system. Not a lot of consent in general. No. And then you've got the prima nocta, which first night. First night. First night dibs that the kings had. Right. For anybody. I don't know if that's actually true, but that was at least in Braveheart. Right. That's at least a rumor. Yeah. Um, So this song Silver Blade was written by someone named Josh Ritter. Once I knew a lordling fine, I heard him whistle as he rode. Spoke of love songs in each kiss And I who was a young girl Then was promised Every young girl's bliss Got up and rode away with him Okay, things are getting titillating He took me to his castle Torn with promises and jewels Until he led me through his castle hall then took my clothes and worked his way. So he raped her. And when he had an I lay there from my head with a silver blade, cut a lock of cold black hair. Keeping a trophy. And bid me dress and go my way. 
So he raped her and took a trophy and then said, get out and bid me dress and go my way, go my way. But when I marked the silver blade and where he said it when he did, and when his back was turned away, I buried it beneath his rib. But when I marked the silver blade and where he said it when he did and when his back was turned, I laid it buried deep beneath his ribs. I used my dagger as a spade where the thorns and the lilacs grow. Nice unmarked grave. <laughs> she hit the body really well. Really well. Boom. Yeah. So this was uh, I Spit on Your Grave, the medieval song. Yeah. So And she actually said, she's like, so she goes, which doesn't mean you have to kill the guy, but it does mean times have changed. It doesn't mean you have to kill the guy. That was like her Me Too mo- moment. But the reason I bring this up is because I was like, this is interesting, listening to this song, which is like an anthem of a rape survivor killing her rapist. Because then, of course, I thought about Bill Clinton being in the room. Yep. And he kind of had that thing where he raped Bunny Dip Roderick. That's right. It was a little bit uncomfortable. Wow. Do you think Bill Clinton was uncomfortable? I don't know. I feel you like think he was squirming or he was he just was oblivious to it. Well, that's that's an interesting question, because I kind of feel like he's so entitled. And we've seen that, like when he's asked about stuff, like when even when he's just asked but if he would have done anything differently, if he would have changed the way he responded to Monica Lewinsky. Looking back on what happened then through the lens of Me Too now, do you do you think differently or feel more responsibility? No, I felt terrible then. And I came to grips with it. Did and you ever apologize no, to no, Yes, and nobody believes that I got out of that for free. I left the White House $16 million in debt. You are giving one side and omitting facts. Mr. President, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to present a side. I'm no, not, no, I'm, you asked me if I agreed. The answer is no, I don't. And I, well, I asked if you'd ever apologized, and you said you had. I have. You've apologized to her. I apologize to everybody in the world. But you didn't apologize to her. I have not talked to her. Do you I, feel I, like I you owe it, her an apology? No, I do. I, I, I do not. I've never talked to her. But I did say publicly on more than one occasion that I was sorry. I don't know if you saw that he got really defensive, which makes me think that that he would have been in, too entitled to even consider it. I don't know. But maybe they like got into a fight that, that, that night, he and Hillary. Anyway, this was really weird, though, okay? Joan Baez is playing her music, and then she's like, so I'm about to wrap up, but, uh, you know, the, the, the Clintons are in the audience, and I want to play a song that, that Bill Clinton told me he really likes. And she does a pretty good impersonation of him. Yeah. She's like, he's like, uh, there's just... What's that song years that we were Hillary and I really love? Um, it's called um, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. The night they drove old Dixie down, and all the bells were ringing. The night they drove old Dixie down, and all the people were singing. They went na 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 na. Yeah, I've heard the band play that song. Right, they wrote it, yeah. The night they go home. 
I just wanted to read you, I found this article on uh, in Rolling Stone about different songs that have historic backgrounds, struggle backgrounds. So before writing the Civil War saga, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, Robbie Robertson from the band went to a library to brush up the history of the conflict. But he didn't study quite hard enough because he made some mistakes. The song, told from the point of view of a Confederate soldier named Virgil Kane, reflects on the final days of the Civil War. In the winter of 65, we were hungry, just barely alive. Band drummer LaVon Helms sings. In the winter of 65, we were hungry, just barely alive. By May the 10th, Richmond, Richmond had fell. Okay. It is literally true that on May 10th, Richmond had already been taken over by the Union Army, but it happened five weeks earlier on April 2nd. Jefferson Davis was captured on May 10th, but it's unclear why Robertson settled on that day to signify anything about the fall of Richmond. Hell yeah. I love to, well, actually, uh, song lyrics, (laughs) 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 which is where I always get my history facts from. (laughs) When the war ends, Kane returns to Tennessee and Helm sings, back with my wife in Tennessee when one day she called to me. Back with my wife in Tennessee. When one day she called a man Virgil, quick, come see, there goes Robert E. Lee Said Virgil, quick, come and see There goes Robert E. Lee Just one problem with that lyric Lee never stepped foot in Tennessee after the war Gotcha Yeah Nice try, but we gotcha That's kind of a problematic song Because it's written... from the perspective of like the Confederacy, from a guy who fought, yeah, in the Confederacy, so like a foot soldier, a foot soldier, it's right. not like a, not, it's not like a one of the generals, right? Who he didn't was get like, like rich, right, 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 right. It, we, he wasn't a land baron; it was right. like a little like a peasant, yes, town dude. Isn't that weird that that song isn't kind of a bigger deal? Like people don't like the song "Sweet Home Alabama" because it's very pro Confederacy Civil War stuff. I guess you could say that like this song isn't. It's just from the perspective of a low-level foot soldier. It's not necessarily... It just seems like a... A day in the life? <laughs> yeah, it's like a vignette of like... Right. Uh, it's like a melancholy song about being a loser. That's true. Right. Not per- like a personally being a loser, but like sort of like, well, this is it. An Americana right. tune. Then, but I don't know, like are Klan's members like rallying around the no, night old Dixie? I don't think so. But I think that some people... Anthem? No, I don't think so. But I think people are offended by it. Because then I was thinking, like, what about a song that was like that about a German? Like a low-level German. Like the night they... The night uh, Dresden burned down. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to say... Then all the bodies were cooking. The (laughs) night old Dresden burned down. Yeah, they they burned old Dresden down. Something like that? I actually... I think I get it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I get the Nazi experience. No, I mean, maybe or that's like, okay. you know, it's a like graveyard of the, of the fireflies is a, a anime of, of what life was like in uh, Japan right oh. before the bomb drops. Right. It's like two little orphan Japanese kids. But they're the good guys. That's the difference. So what makes Dixie and my fictitious hit about the <laughs> our fictitious hit? Yeah. Uh, the Katie Helper Show presents Dresden Blues. Yeah. <laughs> what makes those different is that. Dresden was, you know, during Germany, the Nazis were the bad guys. Yeah. During the Civil War, the um, Southerners were the bad guys. 
and uh, the Confederacy was the, were the bad guys. And during Japan, although some would say el- otherwise, we, I think, would say that the Americans were the bad guys in the bombing. Like, the Japanese were the bad guys Look, in, they, the world, they in the they attacked war. Pearl Harbor first. It's true. Yeah. And before that, they were just, like, running around China, <laughs> just doing doing terrible things in Nanking. <laughs> doing pranks. They just, like... Yeah. <laughs> cutting back, cut, like, pulling women's pigtails and, like, cutting their locks of hair oh, off. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Comfort women. I don't yeah. know if they've ever... Did, did they apologize for, for the, the rape of women? Nanking? Or the rape of Nanking? I don't think so. I think that's a big point of... Uh, contention Contention, still. yeah. A lot of people, a lot of women in Korea would wish that they would. And Nanking... So, I get to the concert, Joan Baez is playing her music, and then she's like, Clintons are in the audience, and I want to play a song that, that Bill Clinton told me he really likes. It's called, um, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. And I kind of couldn't believe it. It's politically tone deaf. Yes, it's politically tone deaf, which apparently is ableist. We're not supposed to say that. It's what, politically tone? tone, hard of hearing. Oh, is wow, that better? really? Yeah, I know. They're really I thought her. I literally thought tone deaf just meant that you couldn't sing. You didn't. You couldn't. It does, but yeah. apparently, you know what? We're we're pushing back on a lot of PCs, and let's let's. I'm gonna re, hey, let's reclaim you, tone you deaf. You do that. I'll I'm do learning that. to grow. J- yeah, I'm Gabe growing. is learning to grow, and um, I'm changing. He's changing. He just okay. he just started a change.org petition against singing so, um, the night they drove with Dixie down. He's no longer participating in our recording of <laughs> Dresden Blues. And <laughs> if uh, somebody finds this in 2024, yeah. I've grown. You've grown, yeah. Since, the, right. since, the, since this moment two. in 2018. Yeah. Right. But the tone deaf thing, yeah, I thought it was, I wondered to myself, I was like, I wonder if Bill Clinton, I had this image of him being like, shit, like when she sang that rapist song, and then being again like, shit, when she said that that <laughs> right. was their favorite song. Yeah. Um, He's like, oh, I, I love that song about the silver, silver blade. <laughs> yeah. I love it when a woman gets her revenge. Do you think you can sing that song <laughs> that kind of is a melancholy and nostalgic for a simpler time? When the Confederacy yeah. had just lost. Yeah. But from the point of view of a Confederate soldier yeah. whose heart's been broken seeing uh, old Lee yeah. walking down the streets. You, you, the one that's not factually accurate. <laughs> right. How about that song? Can you play that song? Yeah. He's like the one with problematic historiography. <laughs> yeah. yeah I was a Rhodes Scholar and a, a, a student of that's history. That's the thing. That is the thing. Like whenever I... Um, think of Bill Clinton saying something and I think like he once made this reference to the awful legacy of the last eight years yes. during Hillary's run. And I remember being like, he's not talking about Obama. And I was like, yeah, he is like, he's dog whistling. Cause the guy is so good with language. Well, Clinton is, he's he was a Southern governor. Right. So he's, he's a Southern a, right. Democrat. Yeah. All right. Everyone says that when you meet him, he looks like he's in love with you. Like yeah. everyone says that. Even now, he I feel like he I, yeah, I think he looks he a little a ghost. ghoulish now. <laughs> ghoulish ghost, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be damned. Here comes your ghost again. He looks like he needs a V8 and like a tanning booth. Like a thousand V8s. Yeah, he's very kind of gaunt, gaunt, little haggard. Little haggard. Got that like knobby finger, I feel like like Yeah. Yeah, he needs a V8 IV. IV8. IV8. He could use came some up with a great vitamin product. B pills or vitamin maybe maybe D. injections. Yeah, vitamin D too. So anyway, coming full circle, that's been our presentation of problematic um, Joan Baez songs uh, as interpreted by Katie Halper when the Clintons are in the audience. Hooray. All right, yeah. <laughs> she sang Swing Hello, Swing Chariot. She sang that while like they were leaving. Who, and, just the Clintons? Yeah. She was like, you two, get out of here. And then as they left, she... She started to swing this. Swing low. Swing low. 
chariot coming on to carry me home. And then it was like coming to take the secretary of state home or something. Whoa. Yeah. And like Corn she mentioned balls, the Secret man. Service. I know. And people were like, Hillary, Hillary. It was great though. It was a really nice concert. Her her son played the drums. Yeah. He was really into it. I didn't even know she had a son who played music with her. She had a woman named Grace. It was cool because they sang Me and Bobby McGee, which is a great song. Yeah, people love that song. You know, it doesn't do anything for it's you. It's fine. I really like it. This is just boomer music. It's Chris Christopherson. Uh, and who, the person who made it famous was Janis Joplin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it's interesting because the woman who sang it with her, Grace, she made the lyrics so they were about a woman. Yeah. So Bobby's a woman. Whoa. Yeah, a little subversive. Updated. Yeah, updated. 2018, yeah. me exactly. and Bobby McGee. Yeah. Roberta McGee. <laughs> Roberta McGee. Yeah. One of the people who invited me shouted out, Joan for president. Wow. Joan for president 2020! <laughs> run, Joan, run! And, and did that uh, receive a res- uh, an applause land, break? It didn't land the way I thought it would have. In fact, it was funny. These people afterwards, they were like, with all due respect, look, we're old, but we need young blood. She's too old. This like older person told us. And we agreed, but... Um, talk about because the times they are changing to quote bob dylan boyfriend of uh joan bias and former bf former boyfriend right she praised him also as being very talented very excited today to be speaking to joshua kendall who is an award-winning journalist whose work has been published in numerous national newspapers and magazines, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, USA Today, and the Boston Globe, as well as Slate, Business Week, and The Nation. He is also an associate fellow of Yale's Trumbull College. He's the author of four biographies. His last book was First Dads, Parenting and Politics from George Washington to Barack Obama, which was published by Grand Central in 2016. He's now working on a book about how the Me Too movement will change presidential history. And you can also find him at joshuacendel.com. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you, Katie. About 20 years ago, for the second time in American history, the House of Representatives impeached a sitting president. Uh, That president was Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton uh, was charged with perjury and obstruction of justice uh, in defending himself in a civil lawsuit filed by Paula Jones, a former Arkansas uh, state employee. And what's so interesting about the Clinton impeachment is that there was a Gallup poll taken 
uh, right after the impeachment, and 73% of Americans uh, sided with Clinton. Uh, and his argument was basically that the Republicans were criminalizing his private behavior. And, you know, the, the common refrain went, all he was doing was lying about consensual sex. Right. And in America, you know, that happens in a lot of bedrooms and a lot of kitchens uh, every day. And there was a sense that, you know, why should we hold the president accountable, uh, more accountable than anyone else? So uh, there really wasn't much uh, interest by the Democrats in the impeachment. And they thought the Republicans were really out of bounds and just sort of following the law literally. And the question today is, you know, what's the larger picture Certainly, the affair with Monica Lewinsky, by today's standards, doesn't really mean much. Uh, but my argument, and I'm, an, I'm kind of an expert on the private lives of the presidents. My last book was First Dads, in which I reviewed the family lives of all the presidents, going back to George Washington. So I've been studying the presidents for about five years, and I've been looking at their family lives, and part of looking at their family lives is looking at... Uh, what kind of fa fathers they are, and also how the father relates to the mother, and also the father's uh, sex life uh, outside of the marriage. And again, as a journalist, I'm really not concerned about affairs, but what's really apparent with Bill Clinton is, uh, based on my research, is that the Monica Lewinsky affair was just the tip of the iceberg. Right. And, and based on my research, there's a really compelling case that he's a very serious sexual predator. And, and, that, and, that, and that has rarely been talked about in the, the, the mainstream media or even the left-wing media, but it's only been talked about in the right-wing media. Breitbart's been talking about it. Fox News will talk about it. But what's really surprising to me is that the left uh, to the present day rarely takes uh, this material seriously and there's a ton of material right i mean there are a couple like different layers right there's the monica lewinsky relationship which by today's standards i think is considered more problematic than it was then but it's yes. certainly not i mean she herself says she doesn't know where exactly it falls in within the me too movement she describes the relationship as a gross abuse of power Hillary Clinton was asked about that she said it wasn't because monica lewinsky was an adult and yes she was 22 um, Bill Clinton, though, was like the most powerful person on the planet at the time. But uh, and, and the woman, Tarana Burke, who kind of started Me Too, does include does think Monica Lewinsky falls within that. But um, I think, as you were saying, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like you could have a whole discussion about this and how and the spectrum. But there was also very non-consensual in a very overt black and white open and shut way yeah and, uh, and and we need to remember why we even heard about monica lewinsky right exactly we heard yeah. about monica lewinsky because of paula jones paula right. jones is a state employee who's who argues who claims and i think credibly in 1991 that clinton exposed himself to her and demanded oral sex and then what clinton decided to do was to fight the Paula Jones uh, case very hard. And uh, he, he, Mo Monica Lewinsky claims that he, he told her that the reason he did this is that if he gave in to Paula Jones and her demand 
for a couple of million dollars that women would be coming out of the woodworks. So we know about uh, Monica Lewinsky through a sexual harassment case. And I think that often gets obscured because we, we tend to think of the Lewinsky affair. It's all about this consensual relationship. But the real question is whether there's a pattern of sexual harassment. Right. It's funny that you mentioned the thing about Americans and so many Americans have um, affairs. So why do we care about it? And in fact, there's like a, a narrative outside the United States that Americans are kind of puritanical and obsessed with this stuff. Right. You know, puritanical, not in that they don't engage, but that they are framing as puritanical. And, you know, no one cares in Europe when people have affairs. But again, this isn't about affairs or, or consensual affairs. This is about one, like, problematic relationship that which we learned about through a case of alleged sexual harassment. Could you just for listeners, because it's so hard to keep track, go through the the sequence of how we heard about not just Monica Lewinsky, but then how we got to Juanita Broderick. Right. So the, what happened was uh, the Paula Jones attorneys, in order to make their case, started searching for other women uh, who Clinton may have harassed. Uh, and that's how they got. So, so Monica Lewinsky was a woman on his staff from whom he sought sexual favors. So then you can see why that would be relevant to the Paula Jones case. They also heard about Juanita Broderick. Uh, and this brings up the whole, uh, the, the misogyny, what I call the misogynistic slime machine of the Clinton uh, White House, which was this whole thing about bimbo eruptions, that Betsy Wright, uh, his chief of staff, who, who was involved in the 1992 campaign, had dozens of women who had had allegedly had affairs with Clinton, and she was concerned for years about these, quote, bimbos yeah. uh, coming out. And some of these cases uh, weren't just consensual. Some of these cases uh, involved uh, sexual harassment uh, and or rape. The most prominent one was Juanita Broderick, uh, who was a nurse in Arkansas, who gave a very, uh, who gives a very disturbing account. Uh, she went, first went public with it uh, in 1999 in an in a episode of Dateline. Good evening. She became known as Jane Doe Number 5. Her story, well known to independent counsel Ken Starr, to House impeachment managers, to Washington insiders, and to many Capitol Hill reporters. To some, this is an old and unprovable accusation that should never have been circulated to begin with. To others, it's a story that must be told. Is she to be believed? Or is Jane Doe number five the latest weapon in a relentless political war against Bill Clinton? Here's Lisa Myers. It's important to me to tell what happened. I don't know how people are gonna take this. I don't know what they're going to think after all these months and years why I've come forward. Jane Doe number five is 56-year-old Juanita Broderick, a successful businesswoman who's been the subject of intense political and media speculation. Rumors about Broderick's story have been floating around Arkansas and Washington for years, known to both Clinton haters and supporters. Broderick was pulled into the Paula Jones case met with investigators for the House Judiciary Committee and was interviewed by Ken Starr's investigators. And though what she told Starr remained sealed, it was seen by 40 members of Congress before the impeachment vote in the House. 
Later, House Republican Whip Tom DeLay publicly urged senators to find out what Jane Doe No. 5 had to say before deciding the fate of the president. As the whispers about her grew, Broderick found herself hounded by the media, and she says the subject of gossip and half-truths on the Internet and in the tabloids. All these stories are floating around, uh, different stories of what really happened, of what people think happened, and I was tired of everybody putting their own spin on it. Broderick's story became public last week, and since then her story has appeared in print, on radio, and TV. But much of what you may have read or heard is incomplete. While NBC News was investigating this story and seeking comment from the White House, our work became the subject of much speculation. Tonight you'll see what we were able to learn, and you'll hear from Juanita Broderick herself, a woman who remained silent for two decades and who admits she has lied under oath about this story in the past, but now says she wants to tell the truth. Juanita Broderick's story begins in 1978. She was a registered nurse who had started her own nursing home in Van Buren, Arkansas. Bill Clinton was the state attorney general who was running for governor. I believe the people expect me to be ready to be governor if I'm elected. I thought he was just something that was really going to be good for Arkansas. But he was a very charismatic man that had bright ideas for our state. Broderick says she was so impressed with Clinton, she volunteered to hand out bumper stickers and signs, her first and only political campaign. Broderick says she met Clinton for the first time when he made a campaign stop at her nursing home in the spring of 1978. When I interviewed her, um, she talks about how excited she was that he wanted to talk to her. I was uh, a young female nursing home owner and I became involved in Bill Clinton's campaign. I would go around in the evenings. You know, I, I went to one of their volunteer meetings that they had here because I thought, well, that's going to be interesting because I'd seen him on TV and his commercials about when he was running for governor. And I thought, you know, that is a bright young man. He's a new man. Bill Clinton is his name. He says the administration we got is the bunch who put us in this spot. Clinton says we don't need more of the same. Bill Clinton's ready, he's fed up too. He's a lot like me, he's a lot like you. Bill Clinton wants to get things done, so we're going to send him to Washington. You remember and vote for that. And he was so charismatic. God bless you all and thank you very much. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go investigate this and find out what he's all about. And so I ended up volunteering and I would uh, load it up my nursing home van with yard signs and T-shirts and hats and buttons and buffer stickers and and all of that. And I would go around in the evenings when I left work and uh, go to people to put yard signs up. And I did this on a regular basis for about two months. Uh, and then all of a sudden, one day, I get a call from the uh, campaign headquarters in, in uh, Little Rock asking, telling me that uh, Clinton was going to be in the area going around to businesses and nursing homes. And could he visit mine? And I was thrilled, Katie. I thought, you know, this is absolutely awesome to get someone like him in to see our nursing home. So I told him yes. And eventually he came and we were all so excited. We were wearing our Bill Clinton buttons and and uh, had a big sign out in the front. Welcome, Bill Clinton. Uh, candidate for governor and all of that. 
And he came. And uh, when he did, uh, he sort of singled me out, came over to me. But I was the owner, you know, and I began to talk to him. And I thought, boy, this this is a this is a good guy. He's somebody that I think could do a lot for Arkansas as governor. And uh, I began to tell him about all the problems that we were having in the nursing home. The reimbursement was so low and we could not care for our patients adequately. And he just seemed very interested in this. He he did. And he said, if you're ever in Little Rock. Uh, please come by the campaign headquarters and let's talk about this. And I, I was I was absolutely jumping with joy. I thought, my gosh, to have the ear of the governor, the future governor of, of my state, to hear about all of our problems. How could you be any happier? You know, that's awesome. And so then he wanted to meet with you and... Yeah, and that's uh, uh, my uh, director of nursing, Norma Rogers, and I went down on uh, April the 24th, 1978. We went down for a nursing home seminar. And uh, the next morning, uh, we called his office and uh, told the young lady that answered the phone that uh, we that he had asked me to call him when I was in Little Rock. And she immediately said, oh, yes, Mrs. Hickey. That was my name at the time. Mm-hmm. She said, oh, yes, Miss Hickey. Mr. Clinton said, if you ever called, would you please call his apartment? Mm. So I thought, well, that's a little strange. But anyway, I did call him and tell him that uh, I would have free time at lunch, could I meet him at the campaign headquarters and bring over all the information that I had about our reimbursement? And he said, no, I'm not going to be there today. Can I just meet you at the Camelot? That The Camelot Hotel is where Norma and I were staying. And I said, sure. And he said, well, I'll be over there. I can, he said, I can come over there uh, in about an hour. So I thought, my God, he's coming to meet me. That's that's terrific. I couldn't believe it, Katie. And then I told Norma, I said, you go on to the meeting. Bill Clinton's coming and I'm going to meet him in the coffee shop. And so Norma went on to the meeting and I waited in the room. And uh, pretty soon I get a call and it's from Bill Clinton. And he's down in the Camelot coffee shop. And he proceeds to say, you know, it's so crowded down here and there's so many people and there's even reporters. He said, could we have coffee in your room? And, you know, I don't know exactly how I felt about it. I'm sure I was a little surprised. But, I mean, we're talking about the attorney general of the state of Arkansas. So, you know, that alleviated any fear that I might have had in in another situation. You know, I just thought it was okay. Yeah, the last person you're worried about committing a crime, right? Right, right. So I immediately ordered coffee to the room. And uh, I told him, I said, I'll order coffee to the room. And he said, well, that's good. I'm talking with someone and I'll be up in about 30 minutes. And I told him my room number. So uh, they come with the coffee. And then just as soon as they leave from bringing the coffee, It couldn't have been but a minute. I hear a knock on the door uh, and I go to the door and it's him. And he uh, I invite him in the room, show him over to the window where I had the coffee sitting. And I begin to, you know, pour us both a cup of coffee. 
And <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, that's uh, when he started casually talking. And then, of course, I think most people know, or maybe they don't, it ended up in a very bad situation. Uh, I really don't want to go into all of the details, you know, of the rape and what happened. I didn't really feel any danger in him coming to my room. And uh, I sort of ushered us over to the coffee. I had coffee sitting on a little table over there by the window. And it was a real pretty window view that looked at down at the river. And he came around me and sort of put his arm over my shoulder to point to this little building and said that he was real interested if he became governor to restore that little building. And then all of a sudden, he turned me around and started kissing me. And that was a real shock. What did you do? Uh, I first pushed him away. I just told him, no, you know, please don't do that. And I forget, it's been 21 years, Lisa. And I forget exactly what he was saying. It seems like he was making statements that would relate to, well, did you not know why I was coming up here? And I told him at the time, I said, I'm married, and I have other things going on in my life, and and this is something that I'm not interested in. Had you, that morning, or any other time, given him any reason to believe you might be receptive? No. None. None whatsoever. Then what happens? Then he tries to kiss me again. And the second time he tries to kiss me, he starts biting on my lip. He starts to uh, bite on my top lip and I try to pull away from him. And then he forces me down on the bed. And I just was very frightened. And I tried to get away from him, and I told him no. And I didn't want this to happen. But he wouldn't listen to me. Did you resist? Did you tell him to stop? Yes. I told him, please don't. He was such a different person at that moment. He was just a, a vicious, awful person. You said there was a point at which you stopped resisting. Yeah. Why? It was a real panicky, panicky situation. And I was even to the point where I was getting very noisy, you know, yelling. And to, you know, to please stop. But that's when he would press down on my right shoulder. And he would... Uh, bite on my lip. Roderick also says the waist of her skirt and her pantyhose were torn. When everything was over with, when he got up and straightened himself, and I was crying at the moment, and uh, he walks to the door and calmly puts on his sunglasses. And before he goes out the door, he says, you better get some ice on that. And he turns and went out the door. On your lip? Yeah. She estimates Clinton was in her room less than 30 minutes. Is there any way at all that Bill Clinton could have thought this was consensual? No. 
not with what I told him and with how I tried to push him away. It was not consensual. You're saying that Bill Clinton sexually assaulted you, that he raped you? Yes. And you have no, there's no doubt in your mind that that's what happened? No doubt whatsoever. And she told me the story, you know, in the hotel room in 1978, and it was 9.30 in the morning. Right. And she was supposed to have a breakfast coffee with Clinton, and they were supposed to meet in the lobby. Clinton says the lobby is crowded. Can I come up to your room? Right. Crowded and, and what kind of, are there, yeah. You know, what kind of person attacks a woman at 9.30 in the morning after talking to her for two minutes? Right. Yeah. That, and that's why the sense of a sex addict, this is a man that needs his fix. And if he yeah. doesn't get it, he's not shy about becoming violent. Right. Yeah. And um, it's also like pretty heartbreaking because she, she says about like when I interviewed her, um, she talks about how excited she was like that he wanted to talk to her. And I, I was I was absolutely jumping with joy. I thought, my gosh, to have the ear of the governor, the future governor of, of my state to hear about all of our problems. How could you be any happier? You know, that's awesome. So I thought, my God, he's coming to meet me. That's that's terrific. I couldn't believe it, Katie. Because she had all these charts that yep. she had prepared and papers. Business meeting. Yeah, yeah business meeting. Right. But she also was really flattered. She was like, oh, because, again, she was volunteering for him at the time. Yeah. Um, oh, this guy wants to talk to me. Like, that's so great. And it's, you know, it's like very sweet and, and like sad and touching that she, you know, wanted to, uh, she was so flattered that he was going to take her ideas seriously and she was going to show him about the reimbursements and how they couldn't afford to take care of their patients. And the um, level of shock and betrayal. Yeah. I mean, you're expecting to have a, a nice sort of bonding experience. Here's a powerful politician who's taking me seriously and, you know, all these sort of, Sweet feelings are coming, and all of a sudden, this violence, right. and, and, and the nervous system cannot process that. It right. takes a lifetime. It, you know, yeah. She's sitting in her 70s now, and it, she thinks about it constantly. It's even this to this day, you know, I'm 74 years old. It's still emotionally right. hard for me to relate what happened. It's, so, I, don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever get over that. The Juanita Broderick interview actually appeared two weeks after the Senate uh, acquitted Clinton. So it didn't play a role uh, in the impeachment. A month ago, she gave an interview to NBC News correspondent Lisa Myers. Since then, NBC News has been carefully investigating the story, combing through state records, court documents and newspapers, cross-checking dates and events, talking to more than 80 people, and repeatedly requesting information from the White House. Then last week, as NBC News continued its investigation, Jane Doe number five went public with her extraordinary allegation that she was sexually assaulted by Bill Clinton 21 years ago. But what's fascinating about that is the Juanita Broderick interview was supposed to appear two weeks before the impeachment vote. And I recently interviewed Juanita and Juanita said that she, she, someone from NBC called her and said that Andy Lack, the president of NBC News, is a golfing buddy of Clinton's. And he didn't want to let that happen. In 2017, Ronan Farrow claimed that Andy Lack was the person who spiked his Harvey Weinstein story for NBC. And that's why Ronan Farrow ended up uh, winning the Pulitzer for the Harvey Weinstein story at The New Yorker. Uh, so, again, if 
the impeachment story would have been very different if Americans were not talking about a consensual affair, but talking about a man uh, with a history of a, a serious history of assault and rape. But what Clinton and his advisors did was uh, they had this strategy to deal with the bimbo eruptions, mm -hmm. which amazingly is the same strategy that Harvey Weinstein used. Uh, they used the same fixer, this San Francisco detective named Jack Palladino, and Jack Palladino kept a file on all the women and even on journalists, uh, and he would try to use whatever he could to smear uh, the women or the journalists uh, making these reports, and that uh, strategy helped uh, uh, take away the credibility of Broderick and of Paula Jones and of Kathleen Willey, another woman who alleged uh, uh, sexual harassment in the 1990s. So there are these three women who have went public in the 1990s. Then there's a fourth woman whom I've interviewed, Leslie Milwee, who, who has gone public in the last few years, who talks about three sexual assaults at her office. She was a journalist in Arkansas in 1980. She was about 20. Uh, and based on my reporting, there are at least eight other uh, serious allegations of, of sexual harassment uh, or assault dating back to Oxford. Uh, when Clinton was in Oxford, there's a woman named Eileen Wellstone who briefly came out in the mid-90s and made an accusation of rape against Clinton. So these charges are all so serious, and they were never taken seriously in the 1990s. And one of the reasons they weren't taken seriously, part of it is the press. What the press did was obsess with the tawdry details. So we heard so much about Monica Lewinsky's thong or all of this nonsense. You mean, or the navy dress, the blue dress. Yeah, the blue dress. And that, and that cigar, played right, right into Clinton's hands because it it's a distraction. And the real issue should be, uh, was this man guilty of you know, acts of violence uh, against women? And what's really amazing, right. even after the Me Too movement, which has taken down Leslie Moonves of CBS or Matt Lauer, the Me Too movement hasn't touched Clinton. Uh, any other uh, man with a history of like Clinton, no person like that could be a CEO in America today. But, but what's amazing is that publishers are giving him multi-million dollar contracts. Uh, no executive could hold on to his position. Just with his track record today, he still has been relatively untouched. You know, and, and what Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose are accused of is much less serious than what Bill Clinton has been accused of. Right. And the term bimbo eruption, how do we know uh, about that term? Yeah, the, the, Betsy Wright. Uh, used it, and uh, some Clinton insiders have reported that. Okay. Uh, and Betsy Wright now regrets it terribly because what's tragic is about Clinton. Uh, which what's tragic about Clinton is that there were a lot of fem Betsy Wright was a feminist, right? But uh, and and this is what's so fascinating and disturbing about the Clinton situation is that a lot of people just felt like he's our guy. Yeah. And whatever we have to do to keep Bush out of the White House, and that was 41 Bush, uh, uh, we're going to do. And if it means covering up for rape or harassment, we're going to do it. And, and this is what I call sort of the Clinton calculus. And what I find equally amazing is that most uh, Clintonistas are still doing it to this day. And, and there's so little reflection right. on 
and, and it's, I, I think what I call it's the Clinton Industrial Establishment. <laughs> yeah. There's so many Clinton alumni all over the place. George Stephanopoulos, uh, you know, the chief anchor at, uh, at ABC, you know, uh, cut his teeth on the Clinton campaign in 90, 1992. And if you watch that old film, the doc, uh, documentary, The War right. Room, about the 1992 election, you'll see him barking at reporters uh, telling them that they're slime if they believe any of these uh, uh, allegations of extramarital affairs. So the Clintonistas have been doing this for 25 years, and they don't want to uh, threaten sort of the, the ship. Right. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I remember when I was, how old was I? I mean, I was in high school when the Monica Lewinsky thing happened. And I remember being really outraged that Newt Gingrich would dare to talk about Bill Clinton's, um, you know, uh, infidelity when he himself was had affairs and he left his what you know, delivered divorce papers to his wife while she was right. c- recovering from cancer. Um, but it really wasn't. I mean, it, and of course, the Republicans didn't care about I mean, the people going after Clinton I didn't care about what he no. did to any of the women, I don't think, honestly. They just no. wanted to use it politically. So then their hypocrisy, of course, I think made all of us, you know, anyone on the liberal or on the left, there were some exceptions, but I think made a lot of people at the time dismiss it as a as either moral hypocrisy or a witch hunt or both. Um, like I, for instance, didn't care about the Anthony Weiner stuff until we found out there was an underaged woman who he was like sexting with. But I didn't care because he was not, because it was consenting adults up until that point, right? We didn't know that there was one who wasn't. It was consenting adults and he did not run as a social conservative. So had he run, let's say, against like sexting or against, you know, if he was like an anti-LGBTQ person, you know, family values, uh, marriage between a man and woman, then I think it's actually totally politically relevant. Whereas because he was socially liberal, I didn't, I didn't think it mattered. But that's kind of a different related issue. Right. And the point is that Clinton did have a lot of enemies. Right. And they had a lot of enemies who were hypocrites. Uh, but the point is that liberals have never really looked exactly. at Right. His history of behavior with women in this new documentary, The Clinton Affair, which is basically a cover up. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of the feminist philosopher Kate Mann, who did a wonderful takedown of Jordan Peterson, you know, oh, that sort yeah, of yeah. super macho guy. Yeah. She wrote a great piece in the TLS oh, about him. Oh, yeah. She also wrote an op ed in The Times about Kavanaugh talking about empathy. Oh, yeah, I did read that. Okay, Kate Mann. Yeah, that's, I tried yeah to and I think there's just a lot of empathy yeah. for Clinton. Right. Uh, and, 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 and liberals are trying to turn him into Gary Hart, because right. all that is true about Gary Hart. And can Gary you tell Hart listeners a, about Gary Hart in case they... Yeah. yeah. So Gary Hart, uh, and it's depicted in the new Hugh Jackman vehicle, the front runner. Gary Hart was the front runner. He was supposed to... He, he, he was number two in the Democratic nomination. I sent it from Colorado in 1984, lost to Mondale. He was the front runner, and the nomination was his to lose. In 1987, then the, the Miami Herald did a stakeout, and they found that he may have ha- been having an affair with a model. And just that suspicion and the front page story kicked him off the, uh, destroyed his candidacies. And this is depicted very you know, movingly in the new Hugh Jackman film. 
Gary Hart was a very serious guy who didn't like uh, you know campaigns and was was a policy wonk. And he said that you know my private life is my private life, and the press should stay out of it. And basically, he was ruined by vicious Republican opponents. There's been all this uh, hagiography about George H.W. Bush, but people forget that his media advisor in 1988 was Roger Ailes. In part of my research about the Me Too movement, another person I'm researching is George Herbert Walker Bush, because the groping stuff is much more serious than anyone believes. And I've spoken to people and their stories going back to the 1970s. Anyhow, he had Roger Ailes on his side, who was defending him and going out of his way to slime his opponents. And Gary Hart got slimed as a womanizer. And if what's happened now is that the left is trying to present Clinton as another Gary Hart. Gary Hart's never been accused of sexual harassment oh, right. or yeah. rape. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah. Clinton, the other thing about Clinton are the numbers of women he was involved with. And uh, I, I've spoken with Dolly Kyle, who had a long-term relationship with Clinton, a sexual relationship for about 20 years. And you know, she says that Clinton had hundreds, if not a couple of thousand sexual relationships. Now, as a reporter, I don't really care about his private life, but that's part of the picture of the 20, uh, I think there may have been as many as 20 or 30 cases of harassment. I mean, I have about 15 on my list that I'm pretty sure about, but I think there may be more. And just the numbers add to the sense that Clinton was a guy who had to have his sexual fix. And if the woman were willing, because Monica, after all, sought him out, uh, she was the one who initiated it. If the woman were willing, he would just go along and get his sexual fix that way. But in the case of Juanita Broderick, who wasn't willing, he would not hesitate to use violence. And that is what's so frightening and what the public is not really, has not really digested. Right. And so can you talk about some of these cases that you found out about and how you found out about them? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I looked at Breitbart. Uh, right. Well, where else can you go? That's the where thing. else can I like, go? And I decided no uh, yeah. So. You know, I'm a journalist, and I said that the left is not covering this. So right. I went to Breitbart, and they had a very good – because what happened in 2016 is that Steve Bannon from Breitbart started, uh, you know, contacting these women, you know, from the bimbo list. Uh, and one of them was this Leslie Milwee. And uh, so I, I just saw the interview on Breitbart, and I decided to call her myself. Oh, wow. And she's extremely credible. Uh, and what, what, uh, what I find so interesting uh, with Juanita and with the Clinton victims is I don't have a lot in common with them. Uh, they're Christian. Uh, they're from, you know, I'm, I'm a New York Jew. Right, they're from same. Arkansas. Right. They're all Trump, rabid Trump supporters. But I just listen to their stories, and we're on the same side on sexual violence. Right. And, and I feel like this partisan. is a, right. Yeah, this is a civil rights issue, and I'm a reporter, and I'm after the truth. I'm a Democrat, and it's not fun for me to say that a certain Democratic candidate uh, uh, may, may be a predator. It's not, it's not what I'm after. I'm after, as a biographer, my interest is, is the truth of human behavior and capturing what Bill Clinton really was like, and that's where I'm coming from. But in the culture today, 
everything is filtered through a partisan lens. Right. There's no, there's no depth in our portrayal of anything. It's how can that, how can I use that for my next win? You know, that's what everyone's thinking about. How can I use that bit of information that Bill Clinton may have raped someone? How can I use that to my advantage? Or how do I have to discredit it in order to get what I want? Right. You know, whether that's Hillary Clinton in the White House or whatever. And my perspective as a biographer is what's the truth? What really happened? What are the sources? What are people saying? Does that fit in with the general pattern? And based on that type of research, I think that Bill Clinton uh, was... A, I don't mind the term sex addict. I mean, I think sometimes that's seen as an excuse. Right. But, but I see it as just a descriptor that he was someone who had to have his sexual fix. And that's why he had uh, hundreds, if not a couple of thousands of different sex partners. And that's why the accounts of the women who, who allege that he really lost it and attacked them, uh, you know, they say no, and he just keeps going and going. And that's what I've heard several times. That's why I find it so credible. Yeah. So I actually only heard about, no, I had heard the name Juanita Project. Like, I don't even remember the first time I heard about it or heard the name. I, but I do remember in my head when I did hear it, I just remembered it as a kind of conspiracy theory. That's what I thought it was. Exactly. And, right. Because they did yeah. such a good job of that. The Clintons did. And also, to be yep. fair, there were so many conspiracies. But also, um, the reason I found out about it was actually, so Katie Baker did a story in, um, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you saw it, it was in a really good investigative piece in BuzzFeed, and she went and invest, interviewed Juanita Broderick, and that came out um, before the election. But the reason I heard about it was because, I don't know if you know the website, Wonkette, I've heard of it. I haven't. Okay, it was like it used to be kind of good and like kind of snarky and funny when like Obama was president, and now it's just total trash. And they also have as their social media editor this woman on Twitter. Full disclosure: she and I have had fights on Twitter. Her name is Bravenock, and she um, once said something about regarding like Bernie Sanders. I didn't know Jews hated black people so much. Um, oh, good to note. I'll return in kind. Uh, there's so few of them left. It's a it's a wonder that they, you know, I mean, something like really, really ridiculously anti-Semitic. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so not only do they have that under their belt, but in, the editor there, Rebecca Shomkorf, Shomkoff, she wrote a piece at Wonkette that said that, yeah, I, I could believe that that ha that Bill Clinton did that. But that doesn't mean he is a bad person. It doesn't even mean he's not a feminist. Um which was outrageous. Really outrageous, right? yeah. And she kind yeah. of apologized. It's only because of that that I looked into it again. Yeah, Richard Cohn or the Washington Post said something very revealing in a column a couple of months ago because he, he didn't believe Broderick. And then he says now and a couple of months ago, I think uh, is a good chance she's telling the truth. And he came up with the, with the reasoning that back in the 90s, we didn't think that educated men who went to Yale Law School and who talked thoughtfully about policy. And women, we didn't too. Think yeah. That we didn't think, men, yeah. Yeah, yeah, educated men like that could be rapists. Right. And, and it's kind of like, if you watch film noir of the 1950s, it's all about, you know, these, these big shots who live in big mansions right. and how dark they are. Right, yeah. And somehow, in America, we, we tend to think that if, if someone... And, you know, Bill Clinton is a very intelligent man. Yeah, he went to, he was a Rhodes Scholar that when you Rhodes mentioned Oxford, Scholar, that's when he was there. He yeah. never got his degree from Oxford. And oh, one of the theories that. is that this oh. rape may have prevented him from getting his degree. Wow. I haven't had a chance to investigate huh. that. 
Uh, but just the sense that what we've learned in the Me Too movement is that the norms for a lot of these educated men are really frightening. Right. And well, that was totally covered up uh, in the 1990s, as Richard Cohn uh, suggests. In the 1990s, you know, a guy with a tie-in jacket who talks intelligently, you know, right. rapists were these guys from the other side of the tracks. Yeah, who, very classist, racist reading of yeah. it. Um, it was the Kavanaugh case that made him reconsider that? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, in the Kavanaugh case, but just, so right, because Christine Blasey Ford is talking about something from, you know, right, exactly, 35 from years like, ago, right, and, and when, Juanita Broderick and Leslie Milway, and what's amazing about Leslie Milway is that no one listened to, listens to her, I mean, you know, and, and you know, Christine Blasey Ford got a national, and, and somehow the, the left is able to use uh, the Me Too movement, but if it's about a, a, a liberal, it's, I think it's about the president. I mean, I think Trump obviously has the, you know, the tw- about the 20 allegations. So maybe, maybe with Clinton, it's not so much being on the left anymore. It's about the power of the presidency, mm-hmm. because b- both Clinton and Trump are t- at present immune from the Me Too movement. Again, if Trump right. were the head of General Motors, he would have been yes. fired. Right. Uh, or even George Herbert Walker Bush, with all the groping, on, yeah. groping on butts. If you're the, if you're at Google today and you grope women's butts, right. your history. Right. But presidents to this day have a certain immunity. Uh, another president I've investigated is JFK, who who was grabbing in the White House, uh, who may have uh, uh, assaulted a couple of women. Uh, his intern Mimi Alford was uh, sh- she was on a job for four days in 1962. And he attacked her in, in uh, Jackie's bedroom. Oh, wow. And she called it a rape, but she was kind of like Monica Lewinsky. She wanted the relationship. She said, all I could have done was scream. But she said, he's the president and he's handsome. And she decided to have a relationship with him, kind of like Monica Lewinsky. It was consensual. But it, in the Me Too era, we need to see that men with any kind of judgment don't do those kinds of things. Right. So she, but she did not scream. I'm just curious. She's saying she did not scream. She said, all I could have done was scream, but she sort of gave in. And then she said, Oh, he's the president. He's so handsome. Right. And they had an affair. Right. Uh, and again, and, and JFK is, is immune. And he also has an industrial complex. He also has another amazing JFK story is that in Mimi Alford's uh, memoir, she says that JFK asked her to service, give oral sex to uh, uh, his his, advi- his oh. one of his advisors. That was generous of him. And, and and this advisor then became the head of the JFK Library. Oh wow, that's uh, interesting. So, what's, so what's the he, thing? So he's like controlling the archives. The victors. Yeah, he, he's controlling the wow. archives. So that's one of the reasons that JFK has been protected. Wow. Yeah. So I just wanted to to say one thing. Um, you said that they're very different from, from you. They are from me, too. You know, the Christian thing. They're from the South. Um, right. They're politically on the right. But the thing about Juanita Broderick, and I don't know about the other ones, but she was kind of apolitical. She was. Yep. She met Bill Clinton because she was volunteering for him. She voted yep. for Obama in 2008. Um, she voted for George Bush before that. She voted for Kennedy. Um, and I think she probably, I mean, I, I don't know how... I would have handled this, but after years of being ignored and smeared, although she was more ignored than smeared, um, but 
to the extent that she was covered, she was smeared. I would take the opportunity that, that Trump gave her to speak. Yep. Um, and she yeah, said w- to me in, in an interview that I did with her, she says, look, people say Are you, you, were, you were used. And she's like, I don't know if I was used, but I don't regret it. And people say, do you feel used by the campaign? I don't know what I feel. I, I just feel glad that I had that opportunity to bring this to view again. You well, know, if we were used, I don't care. Right. You know, whatever the reasons were when he asked us to that second debate, I would finally be able to tell my story to millions of people who had never heard it before. Donald Trump gave Bill Clinton's victims a voice, Mm. a voice that we had been denied for two decades. Yes. So and I think that. She feels a very strong allegiance to Trump for right. that reason. Yes. She sees Trump as sort of her protector. Right. And I don't see it quite that way, but I can understand if someone has this horrific experience that, you know, and Juanita is just so moving because, you know, when I talk to her or, or even Paula Jones, I haven't spoken to her on Facebook with her and I, and I uh, connect with her, but, but, you know, these women are really just seeking justice. I mean, right. what's in it for Juanita Broderick? They say, well, why did you go to that debate? Why did you support him at that, that, that debate? Well, my heavenly days, I had been told for two decades to go back in the woodwork. I didn't matter. So here was my opportunity to be heard in a huge public forum. I just couldn't have imagined that happening to me after all these years. Well, right. That's exactly it. Yeah. And I and I want to talk about some of the smears against her and how little they make, how little sense they make, if like her ulterior, alleged ulterior motives. But also I, I saw, I mean, in the Paula Jones thing, they ask her like if she's why she's working with the right or something. Jones went public and told her story at a news conference held during a conservative political action convention in Washington. But when you came forward, you did so surrounded by the president's political enemies. Did it occur to you that people would suspect your motives? Um, those are the only people that are coming to my defense. There's not any Democrats that are wanting to support me. I was just wanting to tell my story, and I'm thankful that the conservatives let me use their podium to tell it on. And she's like, I'm not, I don't even, I think she just says something like she doesn't even know what that means or something. I didn't. I wasn't a conservative. I didn't even know what a conservative was. Who did you vote for in the last election? Mr. Bush. Like, these people were not politically motivated. That was my first time I ever voted, and I registered to vote just so I could vote against Bill Clinton. They may have been used by people who were politically motivated. Do you think these people care about you, or are they just using you to get Bill Clinton? Um... I don't know, but I'm not in with them. But you are in with them. You appeared with them. But I was just there. Their stories were told, but and they, their stories were used for political gain. But And you know what? Like, if liberals didn't want that to happen, then they should have given these people a megaphone, whatever. Like, and this is what happens. They don't. So then the right wing is the only place where they have a space yep, to talk. Exactly. And then they go around go back around and point to that as proof that these people are politically motivated. But one of the, the, the things that drives me insane, and you see this all the time on Twitter, not just Twitter, though, you see this in Joe Connison's writing, oh, um, yeah. who's like a total, I mean, this guy. Yeah, his, his book is called The Hunting of the President, yeah. as if Bill Clinton has been hunted 
Yeah. That he's the predator, but it's people have been preying on Bill Clinton. It's right. totally backwards. Right, exactly. So he um, just wanted to go through some of these things. So he he loves saying this, and people always say this on Twitter, that um, Juanita Broderick lacks so much credibility, is so lacking credibility, that even Kenneth Starr, the special prosecutor who hated Bill Clinton, even he didn't include her in the impeachment trial. Yeah, he that's just He just used non- a footnote and wrote that her, her claims were quote-unquote, inconclusive, but that was because this was an obstruction of justice case, right? And and it didn't yeah. fall within the purview. Right, um, yeah. Can you talk I, about this? Because you yeah, spoke I spoke with Starr. I interviewed him a few weeks ago, and he said, I never made any determination because that wasn't his job. But that's been used as a talking point by people like Connison to say that Starr uh, you know, never believed uh, Broderick. And what's interesting about Starr, I, I, I'm, I'm reviewing his new book uh, for the Times Literary Supplement, and his new book is called Contempt. And, mm. and Starr argues that Clinton exhibited contempt for the law and contempt for women. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. Mm. And... My argument is that Starr's argument that Clinton exhibited contempt for women at present is considered right-wing claptrap. Only right-winger like Starr would say that. But I think that there's a lot of evidence that this is true. I mean, any of these Me Too predators, that's what they do. And I might not agree with Ken Starr uh, about religion or about... Uh, politics, politics general, yeah. but but the sense that Bill Clinton may well be a predator who exhibited contempt for women, I think that's got to be taken out of this uh, right wing bubble, right. and that's got and that's got to be something that uh, all thinking people think about. And then Philip Raines, who was like a Clinton aide, and like aide, he, he right. played Trump in, in mock debates. He was on a, and it's so ironic because they all smear smear people who look into this as being right-wingers or, or yeah. useful idiots for the right. He gave an interview on the National Review podcast and said that Juanita Broderick was full of shit. When he was asked on the uh, podcast, they said... The Juanita Broderick was never really serious. Juanita Broderick him. is full of shit. The, the guy said, she seems very, very credible. She didn't want to come forward. And Philip Rands go, she didn't want to come forward my ass. She didn't want to come forward my ass. Well, I mean, she didn't. She, she, she didn't. She didn't want to come. Industry. Juanita Brown. Oh, you don't. So you don't. You don't think she's telling the truth about? I that. do not think she's telling the truth. More importantly, Ken Starr did not think she was telling the truth. People, you know, constantly say the thing about um, Kenneth Starr not believing her because that's how not credible she was. For me, I assume Ken Starr pulled no punches. But why do you think Ken that- Starr's report or subsequent? reports confirms that he deemed Juanita Broderick as a not credible witness, both in terms of his own interview of her and the uh, inconsistencies between what he would heard from her and what she told the FBI. Why do you think, you think Ken Starr would have gone easy on Bill Clinton? But yeah. if she had ulterior motives and she had wanted to ruin Bill Clinton's career, all she would have had to have said was that he at some point had told her not to tell anyone. Starr did not pursue the allegations further because he was investigating obstruction of justice charges against the president. Broderick never alleged any obstruction, said the president never urged her to lie. 
because for it to be obstruction of justice, right, there had to be proof that he tried to cover it up or tried to intimidate her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to me, that just speaks to how how credible she is. I mean, it had happened 20 years ago. It would have been very easy for her to say, oh, yeah, I got a phone call one day for someone who said I work for Bill Clinton and keep your mouth shut or something. But she didn't say that. Yeah, and, and, and just, you know, why are they still saying it today? I mean, you know, their behavior is just so consistent. And if you, right. if you take their accounts seriously and follow how they've behaved over the last three decades, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, what ulterior motive did she have? I just want to note that, like, when the Republicans who were voting, for, who were supporting Kavanaugh, they knew that they couldn't, um, I mean, what they did to Christine Ford was absurd. They basically, it was like super condescending and kind of incoherent. They were like, oh, we believe her. We just think that she's wrong about the person who did it. But at We believe least, her. She's just a liar. Yeah, yeah or she's, we, cons- we, we, I mean, honestly, I yeah. think that the way they tried to pull it off, and I don't think they, they think this, but the way that they knew ha- that they had to kind of frame it within a post-Me Too world yeah. is that they had to say that she's mistaken about who it was. So not that, um, not that she was a liar. But what's so interesting is that's how these, you know, the party of overt misogyny and sexism, whose uh, president is an overt misogynist, that's how they treated Christine Ford Kavanaugh. You have Philip Raines, who's someone on the so-called left, is more vicious and and smearing of Juanita Broderick than Republicans were of Ford. Yeah, this is the Weinstein, you know, this is the Weinstein playbook. You know, the, the, the way to deal with bimbo eruptions is... Just smear and slime. slime, And how about James Carville, you know, who said about Paula Jones, that's what you get when you throw a hundred dollar bill into a trailer park. And Paula Jones, I I really like her spirit. And there was a nice piece in the Times about a month ago about how Paula Jones might might be seen by history as sort of yes, by Amanda Hess. Uh, Yeah, Amanda Hess as feminist icon. But she says, "Hey, I never lived in a trailer park." You know. Yeah. I mean, they just take out all this garbage and. What's unbelievable is to this day, most Democrats have bought it hook, line, and sinker. And and there's no reasonable discussion the way there is a reasonable discussion about Leslie Moonves or Matt Lauer or Charlie Rose uh, on the left uh, about Clinton. Right. Um, And didn't, yeah, so what he said was um, if you never, if you drag a $100 bill through a trailer park, you never know what you'll find. And that was a reference to Paula Jones being, right. you know, they're trying to smear her as trailer trash. Yeah, um, yeah but she never lived in it. I mean, where does that come from? I know. I mean, you know. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's very classist because I guess she comes. Exactly. I don't know what. She, I guess she was like, what, working class? Yeah, she um, was working for $6 an hour yeah. when Clinton tried to right, right. harass her. Which somehow yeah. makes it. I mean, all the stuff that they said then would be absolutely unacceptable today. Unless you're Philip Raines, you don't go there. But Philip Raines did. Uh, in fact, we have there's a I'm sure you've read this, but there's a transcript of a discussion that she had when the uh, uh, Lamberts, the investigative reporters for Paula Jones, came to my door. Ninety six or ninety seven. That's before I had an electronic gate and they were working for her attorneys. And they came to my front porch and asked me some questions. And I did not know that at the time they were recording me. And uh, or wouldn't have said what I did. Uh, that, you know, it was just too horrible. I didn't mention his name. I didn't say anything. I just said, that's too horrible. I do not want to go through that. This is the transcript. So Beverly, 
Lambert says, are you Juanita Broderick? Juanita Broderick says, uh-huh. Uh, Beverly goes, Ms. Broderick, my name is Beverly Lambert. I'm a private investigator. This is Rick. Could we talk to you for a few moments? Juanita, no, no, you can't. What's this about? Beverly, we're doing an investigation working for the attorney, working for the attorneys who are representing Paula Jones. Juanita, that's what I thought. No, I don't want to talk to you. Beverly, is there any reason? Juanita, yeah, it's just that was a long time ago and I don't want to relive it. Relive it. And again, bear in mind that this, she did not know that she was being recorded. Beverly, do you realize that the attorneys are probably going to subpoena you if we can't talk to you? Is that okay? Juanita, no, I do not want to be subpoenaed. If they do that, then they will, but they won't get anything out of me. I'm sorry. It's a horrible situation. It's something that I, I mean, I've been a businesswoman here for years, and this is my home, you know. And when all of this came up before, and I had Washington, the spectator, packed down here, I tried to go to San Francisco, and they followed me out there, and a guy trying to write a book, Beverly, so this is not new. Juanita, no, I just had to try and evade all of this. Beverly, we didn't know that. We didn't know anyone else had been out here. We are just following lead sheets. Rick. We've talked to so many people that no one has talked to, and we had your name and drove all the way from Little Rock to talk to you, and Juanita, no, I'm not telling you anything. I'm telling you that I've been harassed by a lot of media. Rick, yes, ma'am. Beverly, well, we understand. We would love to talk to you. I'm going to say, though, they are probably going to subpoena you. Juanita, it's very private. We're talking about something 20 years ago. Rick, do you feel in your mind that Paula Jones, Juanita, oh, she's telling the truth. Rick, she's telling the truth. Juanita, yeah, she's telling the truth. Anything she would say bad about him, she's telling the truth. Beverly, we feel like we are doing the right thing. We are doing a difficult job, but we feel like we are doing it for a very good purpose. Juanita, yeah. Rick, all of the attorneys we are working for, <laughs> this is funny, sorry, all of the attorneys we are working for are good Christian men, and they are taking it with the risk of knowing what could happen, and we are too. We've already been warned about the dangers and what could happen. Beverly, we really have a lot of women we are talking to. We aren't just picking on you or anyone else. We are following up leads. Juanita, yeah, but I would never go into it with anyone, never. Sure wouldn't. So whether anything is said, I'll deny anything. And then uh, Beverly goes, well, they... They did tell us that you may be hostile. That's why I brought my husband and partner with me. But you're not hostile. You're just hurting and not wanting to drag up the past. And I can't blame you at all. Juanita. Oh, yeah, bad things. I can't even begin to tell you. As you're reading it, I just want to remind listeners that that's why we know about Monica Lewinsky. Because the Paula Jones attorneys were looking for a history of predatory behavior. And that's the larger story of the Clinton impeachment and that's the story that the A&E documentary really gives short right. shrift to. And that's the story that the public isn't hearing about Clinton. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I should have. I was just reading it. And um, yeah, um, but I, I just think it's, yeah. it's really important because you see what they're doing is they're trying to build a case of this is a predator. And in right. the Me Too area, we have the categories for processing that. In those days, all these categories were so raw, we really didn't know what we were doing. Right. Yeah. As a culture. Yeah. And um I'll just read a couple more things, but not the whole thing. Um, She says, I won't, but I won't cooperate. I've been through the same talk before. I just don't want to relive that. You know, it was just a horrible thing for me, and I wouldn't relive it for anything. Just tell them to talk to my attorney. Okay, goodbye. So she, again, she didn't know that she was being recorded, and she basically said exactly the thing that someone who it had happened to but didn't want to come forward would say. Yeah, Christine Blasey Ford. I mean, you hear that yeah. constantly. And and then when Juanita did tell her story to Lisa Myers, you know, the pain, she's in tears. I mean, you can just feel it. Yeah, yeah. That 
this woman, you know, again, there's just, just, I mean, I think in the Me Too movement, you know, what the best thing that people can do is just listen carefully. Right. Uh, and if you listen carefully to Juanita, this human story, you know, is right there. Yeah. Um, and Joe Connison also brought up that she originally signed an affidavit saying the rape hadn't happened. He also brought up that she was having an illicit affair at the time. Yeah. As if that's all at all relevant. I mean, that's like exactly, exactly what we criticize people for doing that because that's such a sexist, misogynist trope. It's like that she was asking for it. Idea. Yeah, I mean, it's just, but again, it's not relevant. I mean, right. What was relevant is what happened. So another thing people smear her with, I just wanted to ask you if you could respond to some of these things. One thing is that she first signed an affidavit saying it didn't happen. Right. Monica Lewinsky also exactly. signed an affidavit in the Paula Jones case denying that she right. had, I mean, this was so common, and this was the specialty of the bimbo eruption team, was getting these, you know, Trump's thing is the non-disclosure agreement. Clinton's team was was doing this, uh, you know, back in the, in the beginning of the campaign of getting all these women to sign these statements, but they mean nothing. That's that, And basically the idea is that Republicans are after Clinton and the sex scandal is just another tool that they're using. Right. So and the A&E affair was really the same. It came, comes from directly from Joe Connison. Uh, uh, interesting. Yeah, he's interviewed in it, right? Yeah, but, but it's basically his, they shaped that whole, it's supposed to be a new look and it's the same look. Yeah, Exactly. This is an article I'm quoting now. It was in Real Clear Politics, and it was a woman from a Harper's her name who was writing. The piece was called Must We Believe Juanita Broderick? And it's no is the answer. And she cites the Connison book and points out that two of the corroborating witnesses were sisters whose father, father's convicted killer had been, like, commuted his death sentence had been commuted by bill clinton and then as as joe coniston says a third was the man with whom broderick was having an affair at the time another woman insisted she had seen her friend swollen lip and torn pantyhose the day of the alleged crime but broderick's then husband said he had not noticed an injury nor did he recall her telling him about the incident as she had said and then all these like really disgusting tweets about juanita broderick being a scorned woman but what do you how do you respond to those pushbacks i mean it's just they're just pulling out the whole you know, arsenal of, right. of, you know, what I call the, the misogynistic slime machine that, you know, Betsy Wright, uh, you know, came up with. And, and that was necessary for Clinton to run to, for president. Right. Clinton was going to run in 1988, uh, but then he heard about Gary Hart, and then he had a, a, a talk with Betsy Change Wright. Heart, and, no pun and, intended. Sorry. Couldn't resist. Yeah, and Betsy Wright said, this isn't a good time. Gary Hart just got uh, you know, kicked off for one relationship with an affair, and she's looking at the bimbo files. Right. Uh, and she says, this isn't good. I spoke with Dick Morris, who's now a Republican, yeah. and Dick Morris said that it wasn't just bimbo files, that Betsy Wright said that it was a bimbo warehouse, wow. that the amount of material that they had was massive and on you, all of these allegations. And you said she regrets that? Yeah, because Betsy Wright is a feminist, and she certainly regrets the term bimbo eruption. I don't know sort of if she regrets working for Bill Clinton, but she regrets part of her uh, behavior. And I'd like to try to interview her, because I think this whole question, like there was a PBS Frontline documentary about Weinstein, 
And, you know, there was uh, Ken Oletta of The New Yorker had a lot of goods on Weinstein in 2002, and he just couldn't prove it. Right. But just the feeling that a lot of people are having, what could have been done to stop this man? And I'm just wondering, at some point, I think some Clinton, Clinton, Clintonites are going to come out and say, we really went too far. And um, I wonder if Betsy Wright now, uh, you know, after the Me Too movement, might, uh, you know, have these sort of, pangs of conscience. Right. But, but until now, there have been very few from the hardcore Clinton supporters. Um, and is there other things you want to talk about in terms of the other women um, who you've contacted? Yeah, so uh, my list of about, I think Leslie Milwee is, is the one where there are three uh, accounts of assault. She was an Arkansas journalist in 1980 uh, and uh, she had interviewed the governor uh, a bunch of times, and Clinton liked her, and he'd come up to her office and flirt with her. She, she had no interest. She was just about 20, and she was, she'd go in, often before her 6 o'clock broadcast, she'd go into a small editing room uh, to finish uh, her stories. And on three occasions in 1980, Clinton came into the editing room and grabbed her breast and attacked her. And, on, and she said, no, stop it, you're crazy. And on two occasions, uh, he ejaculated. And she then just ran out of town after the third time she moved. And again, it's just unbelievable that, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, if, if this had happened to, again, anyone in corporate America today, we'd all know about it. And, you know, Leslie Milwee is still in sort of a Breitbart ghetto. There's very little information about her. Right. I wrote a long piece for the for the late Weekly Standard in which I mentioned a list of about a half dozen other women who came out in the 1990s. Uh, one was Eileen Wellstone. Uh, so these are women who alleged uh, a, 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 assault or harassment. Uh, there was a stewardess on a flight. And if you go back into the papers uh, during the Clinton presidency, you can see all of these allegations. And they were all kind of laughed off. But I think in the Me Too era, uh, they all need to be taken seriously. And these are in addition to the dozens upon dozens upon dozens of uh, allegations of consensual affairs. And again, I'm not really interested in the details of those, but I think the numbers mean something. The numbers are part of this pattern of predatory behavior. You have two recent pieces on this. Um, right. One is in the L.A. Times, which was from November 4th, called... Um Reckoning with Bill Clinton, will decades-old allegations of sexual misconduct catch up with the former president? And then you have one in the Weekly Standard, which is called um, Him Too, Reassessing Bimbo Eruptions in the Me Too Era, um, which is also from, uh, this falls from October. So it's interesting, because, because of course what's going to happen is people are going to use the fact that this was at the Weekly Standard to say, look, this is just a right-wing claim. Right. Um, but did you have trouble like ha uh, publishing elsewhere? I mean, you also yeah, have a piece in the LA Times, which is not partisan. I mean, yeah, uh, I've had trouble uh, publishing, uh, you know, the Weekly Standard, uh, may it rest in peace. I mean, you know, the, politically, I, 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 I don't agree with them, but they, they were the one uh, magazine talking about Juanita Broderick uh, in, in 1999. Uh, and I had trouble publishing. I approached the New York Times a bunch of times, the Washington Post. 
And at those places, this line of Jill Abramson is basically, uh, until very, very recently, has been, uh, you know, a given, which is it's, it's all about politics and all these allegations are political. And there's been so little listening to the Clinton victims. Uh, you know, and, and again, that's why the Amanda Hess story was such a sort of breakthrough, because that was the story about Paula Jones was saying, hold on a second. This woman is very credible. She's very, uh, you know, she, she's, she, she, she's just very direct and thoughtful. And, you know, that's after years and years of her, you know, not getting a fair hearing in the right. mainstream press. Right. And then there's Kathleen Wiley. Kathleen Wiley. I spoke Wiley. with her. Wiley, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kathleen. Uh, uh, yeah, I spoke with her, and I think her allegation is credible. It came out in the 1990s. The Clinton machine... Uh, again, what's amazing is he—he's—he's he's, there. Just been so many allegations in these bimbo files, and every single one he's able been able to squirm away from. Uh, and no one ever seemed again with Gary Hart. There never were this many allegations of assault and harassment. But it's just unbelievable that that in the 1990s people had no problem saying. All of these allegations, the only source of these allegations was the vast right-wing conspiracy. And one point that I remind readers is that Hillary Clinton came up with that phrase in the Today Show in January of 1998. And she first used that phrase to make the case that the Monica Lewinsky affair could not possibly be true. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. Right. She, she said, oh, the, Monica, the reason that this, this allegation has come out, it's all a vast right-wing conspiracy. Right. So they just use that. But, but, but they never looked at the evidence. Well, Monica Lewinsky, there's a lot of evidence. There was a blue dress and a lot right. more. And now we know that it was true, right? And he and, called and that, her that, that this was a whopper. And, and they've used that vast right-wing conspiracy for everything. Right, exactly. Rather than going into the nitty-gritty, what is Juanita Broderick saying? What is Paula Jones right. saying? What right. is Kathleen right. Lewis saying? Right, that's a good saying? point. Like, you would think that given that she used that defense, the right-wing, um, vast right-wing conspiracy defense, was turned out to not work right was a lie in the monica Lewinsky case why not for this and similarly like you said before they use the she signed an affidavit but so did monica Lewinsky. so again these two excuses that didn't hold up they're still applying them to and in 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 the clinton affair which i said is basically a remake of the hunting of the president uh the clinton affair uses the right wing conspiracy in the very first uh episode and they use it as a statement of fact. So they, don't, they, they truncate the quote, because you, in the actual quote, she's sitting with Mount Lauer talking about Monica Lewinsky, but they use it, uh, and they use it along with the quotes from other talking heads to say that, see, it was all the, Republic- oh, so the Republicans wanted to get at, back at Clinton. So they didn't present it as being said in response to the no, Monica No, no. Yeah, that's interesting, because I don't think I knew that before. Yeah, that's really so, important. So it was a Whopper, and, 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 yeah. and so even Whoppers somehow are to the benefit of the Clintons, right? And what's interesting is that Trump, in many ways, is oh, yeah. borrowing from Clinton's playbook. Right. You know, as I say in the New, in the L.A. Times, that Clinton deny, 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 
you know, that in many ways Clinton has sort of emboldened Trump. Yeah. And, and what I find, uh, you know, I'm Bill a liberal. But, Bill. Uh, Bill. Bill Clinton's playbook. But what, what I find about Trump is I'm a liberal, but I think that the allegations against Clinton are actually more serious than those against Trump. Huh. I mean, I think that the 20 allegations of Trump against Trump, there are no rapes. The only rape may have been his wife. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. But basically, it seems that Trump's pattern is very aggressive passes. You know, he meets a woman for five minutes and grabs her. And that's awful. And the Me Too era, there should be... And it's assault. You, know, no you can say it's assault, yeah. Yeah, it's assault. But it's not, if you go the nitty-gritty, what he did with Les- what Clinton did with Juanita Broderick or oh, with yeah. Leslie Milway is much, much worse than that. Right, yeah. Much so, worse, yeah. So, so, so I think on the sexual predator scale, Clinton may be worse than Trump, and liberals don't want to take that in. They all say, well, how about the current president? Exactly. I'm not defending Trump. Those 20 allegations to me sound serious and shouldn't be tolerated. And, well, how uh, about the radical thing, which is that we like look into both? Yeah, no, right. exactly. The, and, uh, and yeah. my point, and my point is that presidents, to right. both are are oh, they're both protected from the Me Too movement, and we should look into to both. And but, some senators, yeah. like Kristen Gillibrand, said Trump should have resigned. Right. You know, when the Me Too movement started, and and that's all good. And Philip uh, Rains attacked uh, her. I, yeah, and that's that's a reasonable argument. But but she, and and she's said that Clinton should have resigned because of Monica Lewinsky. Lewinsky. Yeah. But even Kirsten Gillibrand doesn't say uh, Clinton, you know, should be held accountable for Juanita Broderick. Even she's not going there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe Con- I can't believe these people. They're such. And then they also shame Juanita Broderick for supporting Trump or not believing his victims. It's that's not her job. Like we uh, we're liberals or not even liberals. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Take this stuff seriously. We don't. That's not supposed to be. They don't yeah, have to all- be on the correct political team. The only thing that matters is what ha- is she telling, you know, is what, she, what happened between her and Clinton is right. her account. Right. Believable. Everything yeah. else. And, wh- and again, just in terms of, of how many people are buying this, in the Clinton affair, uh, Jill Abramson, who wrote the book on, on Clarence Thomas, literally, she and Jane Meyer of The New Yorker, right, wrote that book about Clarence Thomas. She says about Juanita Broderick that we can't really believe her because her allegations are so polluted by politics. It's hard to evaluate like the the truth of their stories because the stories over time have become so polluted by by politics. Oh wow! I think and, I must have blocked that out because I watched it. Yeah, but but that's so she says that at the end of the mini, and so you know this is Jill Abramson, a you know feminist who exposed the Clarence Thomas nonsense and she this case of empathy is over the top right yeah i mean and then of course gloria steinem has kind of apologized for this op-ed she wrote all these tropes like about how these women didn't you know how he wouldn't have to have what shouldn't you know like you were saying before about the richard richard Cohn. yeah this idea that like you know clinton would not have needed to have raped people or harassed people or assaulted people just that you know well-educated people you know they didn't do that kind of thing and and what the Me Too movement is showing is that, again, the norms at Yale and Oxford are scary. You know, right. Have been scary for a long time. Right. Yeah. And, oh, this is another thing that happened that, of course, you have to go to Breitbart to find. But um, Andrea Mitchell said on MSNBC um, that she had been discredited. Um, 
Yes. And yeah. And Juanita, then, she, yes, she, she, sorry, Juanita, and I think yeah. she had later apologized for that. Yes, she did. Um, so this is what Andrew Mitchell said originally. Donald Trump using that word unprompted during an interview. Rape, okay? So Donald Trump using that word unprompted during an interview last night with Fox News' Sean Hannity, bringing up a discredited and long-denied accusation against former President Bill Clinton dating back to 1978 when he was Arkansas Attorney General. Right, so where does that come from? They don't even come? say her name. Yeah, where um, does that come from? Discredited by whom? You know, yeah, it's just, exactly. So then just double so talk. Juanita's son, who's a lawyer, I think, took it up with them, um, and they scrubbed it. They took out. They took out discredited, but neither Mitchell nor the network provided any documentation or evidence to back up the discredited claim. Yeah, um, but it, it's just this yeah. is part of the mainstream media, of the, of the DNA of the mainstream media. Right. And what's so amazing about Clinton? I mean, Harvey Weinstein was a private person, so he was had these hundreds of affairs, and the only people who knew about it, you know, were on his staff. But Bill Clinton, what does that say about a culture that we've had a serial predator who's who's been in the news, you know, for 25 years, and no one's talking about it? What does that say? Right. You know, he was a very public person, and and this happened right in front of us, and then we get this stuff that it was discredited. Right. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, also, yeah. like, Hillary Clinton said that, too, that it was looked into. Um, and, of course, Hillary Clinton's claim that you have a right to be believed is what got Juanita Broderick to tweet that famous tweet yes. that she tweeted. Um, and, and Hillary, yeah. yeah, just about Hillary, she said in the last couple of months, well, all of this was litigated right. in the 1990s, and let's move past yeah, it. Yeah, but that's just my But it wasn't litigated. Right. We had an impeachment trial about a perjury and obstruction of justice, but we've never, as a culture, considered seriously the allegations of rape and assault. And Hillary Clinton pretends it's all been done already. Right. And that's disingenuous. And then also, it's like, uh, it was just unbelievable, as you refer to in your article, um, Craig Melville just daring to ask Bill Clinton if he would have done anything differently. And then he gets high and mighty and offended and says how he's the victim because he had to, you know... Like what? Pay a lot of my legal bills. Legal bills, yeah. 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 I mean, he remains so incredibly entitled. Yes. And and I think this is a really, and I think Bill Clinton is extremely intelligent and very verbally gifted, but there's just a real darkness in him. The level of self-absorption to immediately talk about his legal bills when we're talking about someone, you know, the women whose lives... Juanita Broderick, she's thinking about this for 40 years, is just so, the level of narcissism, and this is, you know, close to malignant narcissism. In his book, Ken Starr sort of paints this profile of Clinton as sort of a film noir character, and he has this very telling example. So it's 1995, Clinton uh, meets Starr and his team at the White House, for a deposition, Clinton is trying to bond with Hickman, Jew- Hickman Ewing Jr., which was the number two guy under Star. And he's, and you know, it's right before he has to testify, so he's trying to break the ice. And he uses his you know, in the Arkansas accent. He says, "Hey, Hick, I wonder when I when, when I was a teenager, I used to love tearing up centipedes, and yeah. I used to love destroying them and watching them grow." Yeah. So it's basically an unsolicited confession of insect torture. Right. And I interviewed Starr, and Starr said, the reason I put it in the book is that uh, Ewing was 
kind of a macho guy. He was a football player, so he was no sort of shrinking violet. Right. And he was absolutely horrified. Mm. Clinton was trying to bond with him. He right. was trying to say, didn't you do that as a kid? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and, and Ewing says, uh, sorry, Mr. President, uh, we didn't do that, uh, right. you know, back where I was from. But it's like, you know, Clinton, this is the kind of thing that, you know, Whitey Bulger says. I mean, it's a really scary thing. But this, this really dark, angry, you know, antisocial side of Clinton. And again, this is not Gary Hart. We're dealing with someone who is much darker. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and, and, sorry, yeah. and the truth should come out. You know, and it's not, you know, it's not fun, but my interest as a biographer is always what was going on inside this person. How can we understand this person? And the evidence for Clinton is there's a lot of darkness. Yeah. Do you have any time to just give a short thing about um, Herbert Walker Bush, the groping, and also the the thing with Roger Stone? Oh, uh, Roger Ailes. Ailes, yeah, yeah. Do you have a few minutes to talk about that? Yeah. John Meacham, in his 2000, uh, his biography, he's investigating Bush's sex life, and he, he has two main sources. The 90-year-old Bush, who's in a wheelchair, sitting next to his wife, he said, did you ever have these affairs? Bush says no. And then he asks Roger Ailes, who was, who was you know, then at Fox, and he said, did Bush have any affairs? And he says no. So those are his two sources. But there was kind of an inside uh, story in Washington that he had several affairs. Now, again, affairs by themselves, you know, it's not in those yeah. days they were, a big, they were a big deal. And the reason I bring it up is that there's some reporting that the, that the Bush and Clinton had a non-aggression pact about affairs in the 1992 campaign. Uh-huh, right, that would make sense. So that when, the, uh, so that when, uh, it's funny, a CNN reporter asked Bush about his affair with Jennifer Fitzgerald, and it was a woman reporter, and she lost her beat at CNN. Wow, Bush I said, how that. can you say that about me? And she got slimed. And then they asked Bill Clinton, what do you think about that? So he was running for president in 92. He said, well, I think affairs, you know, we shouldn't really be talking about that stuff. So that made his day because he said, if Bush, you know, because if, 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 if Bush doesn't have to talk about his affairs, I don't have to talk about mine. Right. Uh, but so that's just the whole question of, of Bush and his relationship with women. And Bush, Bush and his wife uh, in the hagiography, they have this sort of saint-like marriage. And that's just a kind of delusional picture that's coming from Meacham's biography based on interviews with Bush and Ailes, right. who was his media fixer. And Ailes's job, day job was to get the affairs off the map. And he did this by sliming this CNN reporter. Bush said, how could you ask me this, you know, this, this question? This is the White House. And she was shamed, right. that reporter who lost. But the other thing that came, out, came out a few years ago was Christina Baker Klein, who's actually a friend of mine. Uh, I was at a writer's colony with her a few years ago. She uh, wrote in Slate. She's a best-selling uh, novelist. Her book was The Orphan Train. It sold lots of copies, and she got lots of nice gigs. And she met uh, 41, and during one of those gigs, he grabs her butt. So groping. Uh, groping. Now, Christina then wrote about it in Slate, and the Bush advisors had this two-fisted response. He's either an old man who has Alzheimer's, so he's not responsible, 
or he's a gentleman putting women at ease. Take your pick. <laughs> right, right. Whatever but works. You've got to pick one narrative, though, unfortunately. Yeah, but they, they took two, yeah, and it right. worked. Right. That double narrative. But the other thing was Christina got 10 to 20 emails from other women. Wow. Going back to the 1970s, and if you Google, Time did coverage. Some of these women were teenagers at the time. So I think with, with any Me Too allegations, we always need to look at what they are. These allegations aren't rape, right? Right. It's not as serious sure. as the Bill Clinton. But still, if you're a CEO in America today and you have a history of groping teenagers, your history. Right. So I still think it's serious. But the Bush thing has been totally laughed off. And again, it's another instance where a president is immune right. from Me Too allegations. Right. Yeah. And, and the Roger you know, Ailes thing, too. No one talks about that. Yeah. And the Roger Ailes is his fixer. What kind of a person? And remember, he's also the guy who, who puts Clarence Thomas in, maybe a more... Right. Oh, yeah. President more sensitive. The women's issues would say, oh, my God, the guy put on the Supreme Court. You know, Trump, we know, doesn't like women. So right. Kavanaugh, he's going to stick up for. Right. But we thought if George Bush was such a gentleman. Yeah, exactly. How could he so stick different up for from Trump. Right. Thomas? right. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So he's gotten a total pass. And I think this is the, the power of the presidency that John Meacham could build his career on becoming an enabler. Right. I mean, these people. Yeah. Uh, this is where, you know, they, they get like, all these fancy gigs, you know, access journalism. Yeah. How else is he going to get all those hours of interviews with Bush unless he becomes his amanuensis? Right. And then, of course, then that brings up the hypocrisy of the other side, right, where we see the right wing doesn't really care about this stuff. And then uh, George Bush Sr., by the way, I was Googling, and there's an article on BBC News. He's accused of groping by eighth woman. So yeah. at least eight. At, at least, least eight. Who's I mean, come eight. forward that we know of, right? Yeah, have come forward, and some of them are teenagers, and it goes back way before the wheelchair. Right. And that got totally covered up, and 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 some of the I think it was one of the papers, not in the New York Times, but one of the papers like mentioned the I think it was Slate that mentioned the groping allegations in some sort of a commemorative essay, and they got attacked. Oh wow! You know, yeah. You know, don't say that kind of stuff. Right. But yeah. it wasn't in. You know, so what are we going to do when when Bill Clinton dies? Are we going to say that, uh, you know, when Ada Broderick never existed? I mean, right. And then and then there's this. We, yeah, I'm sure they will. Or they'll say that, you know, a discredited claim or something. I mean, hopefully yeah. not. But um, it's also this really disgusting thing. That's like a post Trump thing where anyone who's not Trump is that much more elevated now, which is just exactly. Yeah. And dangerous. Right. So, so Bush definitely got that. But again, uh it's not my favorite, you know, it's it, it just, these are the allegations and we should just listen to them seriously. And it just seems that really primitive defense strategies, either Alzheimer's or gentlemen, take your pick, they just work. Right. And, and this is the empathy, what Kate Mann calls the empathy. Right. And I think it's the power. These men are so powerful yeah. that, that people are scared of them and no one wants to come out and say this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Joshua Kendall, for speaking okay. to us. And you can find him at Joshua C. Kendall. And on Twitter, he is J.C. Kendall. And Kendall is spelled K-E-N-D-A-L-L. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's weird. There hasn't been that much stuff on this. I thought there'd be tons of stuff, like, as we approach the anniversary. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, you know, the Clinton affair was the attempt. But I, and also, I think, uh, you know, I think people are a little tired of the Clintons. And you know, the, the one change that, that is remarkable 
that I didn't expect was that their tour is doing so poorly. Awkward, or it should be awkward. Yeah, finally, because you know, basically they were totally immune. I mean, his book, and if you read the book, uh, I, I couldn't read the whole thing, but the, the description of women, right. you know, their breasts are like melons. It's just yeah. so misogynistic. Know, it's so weird that he would do that after this. And also as a friend, oh my God, as a guest pointed out very hilariously, he's like, he, it's about a president whose wife has been killed. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Okay, it's been nice talking with you, Katie. Yeah, you too. All right, thanks again. All right, take care. Bye. You too, bye. What, what I think that we can learn from all of this is that all people, regardless of sex, regardless of anything, have the right to say no and expect to be treated accordingly. But when no is not taken for an answer, then victims must be heard loud and clear. And we've got to remember this. Joshua Kendall is an award-winning journalist whose work has been published in numerous national newspapers and magazines, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, USA Today, and the Boston Globe, as well as Slate, Business Week, and The Nation. He is also an associate fellow of Yale's Trumbull College. He's the author of four biographies. His last book was First Dads, Parenting and Politics from George Washington to Barack Obama, which was published by Grand Central in 2016. He's now working on a book about how the Me Too movement will change presidential history. You can hear The Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org. You can hear The Katie Helper Show on iTunes, and please rate and review us. You can hear The Katie Helper Show on SoundCloud, 